I want to ask a question. What is some of the most hardest jobs in America? What is one of the most, what are some of the most difficult jobs in America? And instantly, probably some of us would say, well, a brain surgeon. A brain surgeon was, is probably a hard job. How many would raise your hand and say, probably a brain surgeon is a hard job? Being the U.S. president is probably a difficult job, don't you think? Bless that man's heart. Okay, let's go on. A public school teacher, that's probably a difficult job because dealing with rebellious children, that's probably very difficult. I'm not sure if I could be a public school teacher. Could you? It's a hard job. What about an emergency room doctor? Would you agree that that's a hard job? What about a coal miner? You know what? One of the hardest jobs, if you look on the internet, the top hardest jobs in America, one of the hardest jobs in America is a New York City tax taxi driver. How, how many would agree that that's probably a very hard job? A New York City tax taxi driver, that is a very, very difficult job. And you know what I would add to that list? to all the hard jobs in America is being a parent. Being a parent is probably one of the hardest jobs. And if there is any parents in the building that could testify to Pastor Josh that you know it's a hard job, raise your hand, shout amen. So being a parent is probably one of the hardest jobs there is. And why is it? You know why I believe that being a parent is a hard job? How many wants to know why I believe that being a parent is a hard job? It's because when you become a parent, there is no instructional manual that you get. It's not like you have an interview and somebody sits down with you and says, listen, I'm going to go over the rules of parenting. That doesn't happen. There is no expectation, there's expectations from people uh, on your life. That makes parenting very difficult. The responsibility of clothing, feeding, sheltering, uh, protection, that makes parenting a very difficult job. Or what about the responsibility to train them biblically? That's, that's hard. Or provide an education for them. Or the pressure of feeling like you're not a good parent. How many parents in the building that can wave your hand and says, I have had times in my life where I have felt like I was not a good parent? Raise your hand. Everybody can testify to that. Well, with that being said, I think that we all can agree that parenting is a very difficult job. I mean, parents have questions like, where did I go wrong at? Or maybe I should have done this, or maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or if I can go back, I would do it differently. How many parents would raise your hand and said, I've had questions like that. I've had thoughts like that. If I could go back, I would do it differently. I would say things differently. Parenting is a messy job. Would you agree with that? It's a messy job. And um, it's a hard job, but we have to have parents. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, and headstrong. Do you see that scripture? The scripture says that in the last days that children would be disobedient to their parents. So guess what, parents? If your children is disobedient, it's not because you've done something wrong. It could be because 
that is the characteristic of the last days. <clears throat> Sometimes you haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes it's just the characteristic of the last days. When children are disobedient, when children are unthankful and unruly, the Scripture says in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days that parents would parent children who are disobedient, unthankful, and unholy. So it may not be because you've done anything wrong. It may be because it is a characteristic of the last days. Children are disobedient to their parents. And nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, we need strong leadership in the home. We need strong leadership in the home. We need a mother and we need a father in a home. We don't need Bruce and Bill. We need Bill and Barbara. We don't need Susie and Sarah. We need Susie and Steve. We don't need Daryl and Deborah. <laughs> we need Doug and Donna. Nowadays, people are so confused that they can't decide whether they're Bruce or Caitlin. We need strong leadership. And somebody said it takes a village to raise a child. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a mother and it takes a father to raise a child. It's no wonder we have children who are confused. They don't know whether they have two mommies or two daddies. Now I know that if you leave today offended because I'm preaching that we need a mother and a father in a home, that's not going to change here at Christ's point. We firmly believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that is God's design. It is amazing to me that people have got offended at me because I've preached that marriage is between one man and one woman. I, this is a Pentecostal church, but nowadays you've got to clarify everything, and I am not speaking against the LGBT community, I am simply saying that Jesus died for them, he loves them, there is grace towards them, and we welcome them, we don't affirm their lifestyle. So they're welcome to come, we love them with open arms, we stretch our arms open wide, we love them, and you say, Pastor, but they were born that way. That's scripture, because you're born into sin, and when you're born into sin, you've got all kinds of stuff going up in you. But Jesus said, be born again. Does that, y'all still like me? Come on, can I have some love from the brother and the sister today? Come on, somebody wave your hand. I know, I know it's a touchy situation. And you may have family members that struggle with it. And I'm not saying if you struggle with it, you're in sin. I'm saying if you are participating in the lifestyle, it's sinful. Come on, somebody. So, so there's love, there's forgiveness, there's compassion. We open our arms, welcome people. We want people, but we believe the Scriptures. It's not my idea, it's the Scriptures. So we have to follow the Scriptures. So one man and one woman, you know what James Dobson said? He said this, and I quote, 
the Western world stands at the greatest crossroads in the history, in our history. In it is my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend upon the presence or the absence of masculine leadership in the home. Fathers hold the key to the preservation of the nuclear family. And one of the biggest reasons for the failure in our homes today is due to what many refer to as deadbeat dads and failing fathers. Our Western world stands at a crossroads and James Dobson, who has devoted his whole entire life to the family ministry, came to the conclusion that one of the greatest struggles in our homes today is absent fathers, where there is no masculine role model in the home. We have moved away from father knows best to where is the father. In the 1950s, that famous show, Fathers Knows Best, now no show exists because 40% of boys and girls who are born in America born, are born without biological fathers. 40% of boys and girls who are living in a home in America have no biological father present. Every year, one million babies are born to unwed mothers with no male figure present in the home. And by the age 13 years of age, 60% of those children raised by a father are more likely to commit crimes, use drugs, or be illiterate because there is no male role model in the home. Fathers are absent. And let me say this to fathers, that just because you provide a paycheck and just because you come home every evening doesn't mean that you are actually there. I'm going to say that again, and I hope I can get some love from y'all. I said just because you provide a paycheck and because you do your duty and you come home every evening doesn't make you a father. A father is a person who is there emotionally, spiritually, and physically as well. I'm going to say that again. A father, a father is somebody who is there biologically, who is there emotionally, spiritually, and physically and financially. And sometimes as fathers, we think that if we provide, that's enough. But God has created us body, soul, and spirit. He created us with emotional needs. He created us with spiritual needs. And He's created us with physical needs. And being a father involves more than just taking care of the physical body. It means you're taking care of them emotionally and you are taking care of them spiritually as well. When was the last time you told your son and your daughter that you love them? You care for them. You're there for them. But pastor, they should know that I love them. I buy them clothes. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's not our makeup. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit. We are emotional creatures. And we are, as parents, designed to meet the emotional and spiritual and physical needs of our children, not just the physical needs, not just food and shelter and clothing, but also the emotional needs of our children. What about it, fathers? James Dobson clearly pointed out that there is a lack of role models in America. You know, very, I've pastored for 14 years and it, it always touches my heart when I hear a son say to their daddy, you're my best friend. It chokes me up. When I hear a son or a daughter say, you know, who's your role model in your life? It's, it's my dad 
Oh, really? It's not a baseball player? It's not a football player? It's not one of your homies that his pants is hanging halfway down and a gold teeth and has a hairbrush stuck in his hair? That's not your role model? It's actually your dad? Really? That's an oxymoron now. Boy, I'm preaching. Whew. I mean, the smoke is a-flying this morning. It, it chokes me up. Because if you are not their hero, you will be zero. If you are not the man in their life, somebody else will be the man in their life. You can tell what kind of boy you're raising is how he treats his mother. I'm going to preach that one more time. You can tell what type of boy you are raising and how he treats his mother. And the moment he starts to backtalk his mother and be disrespectful to his mother, you better take the board of correction, get that thing out of him before he marries your daughter. You understand what I'm saying? And husbands, you are the defender of your wife. You're the defender of your home. Husbands, you are the defender of your wife. You don't let your children backtalk their mother. You don't let your children be disrespectful to their mother. You can tell what kind of child you're raising by the way he treats his own mother. If you, ra if you raised a mama's boy, he will probably be an outstanding husband he knows how to love. Now there's a balance there. Sometimes they run to their mama for everything, but hopefully they learn that that's probably not wise thing to do. Can I hear an amen? We need role models. Role models. That we become king of our mountain. We become heroes of our children. We become the men that they respect and they look up to. And I want to say this, that I'm appreciative of all the single moms who life has dealt lemons to them, but they have made lemonade and they've raised their children being single. And I want to applaud all the single parents today and let you know that we appreciate you and we stand behind you. And sometimes there is not a masculine role model in the home. But God does take care of it. God will send a pastor. God will send an elder. God will send somebody. God always makes up for the loss. So don't let that discourage you if there's not a, a father in the home, if there's not a masculine role model in the home. Don't let that discourage you. You keep him in the house of God. You do your very best in knowing what you need to do, and God will make up the slack. Can I hear an amen? Do you know one of the most powerful stories is the story of the prodigal son. You know, and I don't want to read the story to you, it's too long, but you know the prodigal son. The Bible says, the prodigal son, the son came to his father and said, Father, give me my inheritance. So the father gave him his inheritance, he took his stuff and left. And then he spent everything he had, he came to his senses and went back to his father's house. That's the gist of the story. And if you look at the story, you will find in uh, Luke chapter 
Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. I just want you to see this phrase. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. I want you to see something. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided his livelihood. And not so many days his younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions on prodigal living. The first thing I want you to see in this story is this. Now don't lose me because this is so important. The son came to the father and said, give me my inheritance. And the Bible says in verse 12, the father gave to him. Now, you know why that is, this scripture is so important? is because in the Middle East, inheritances was given to you after your father died. So after the father died, they gave you inheritance. But what the son was asking, the son said, give me my inheritance now. In other words, the son is saying, you are really dead to me. Give it to me now. I, I'm selfish. Give it to me. I want to go do my own thing. I want to go. Just give it to me, Dad. And that's exactly what the father did. The father said, okay, son, I'm going to give you the inheritance. I'm going to give you what you asked for. And that is the thing that I want you to see in this story, is that being a father demonstrates to us, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes we got to let go of our children. Is, is this what it said? The father gave his possessions, his inheritance to his son, even though it wasn't time for it. He gave it. And being a father is understanding that sometimes I've got to let my kids go, even though it hurts me. I've got to let them go. He let his child go. He could have said to his son, listen, son, don't do this to me. You're killing me and your mother. Don't do it. He could have said to his son, I'm not giving your inheritance until I'm dead and you can have it. He could have argued with his son. But no, the scripture says the father gave to the son. Because it teaches us that sometimes being a parent, you've just got to learn to let your kids go sometimes. Don't let them go. He was wise enough to know that the way to keep my son is to let him go. You see, sometimes we want to change our children. Sometimes we want to shake our kids and say, listen, do you understand what you're doing to me? Do you understand what you're doing to my, your mother? You're breaking our hearts. Sometimes we want to act that way. Sometimes it's necessary to say it. But sometimes we just got to realize that we have to let our kids go. In other words, we can't enable them. He allowed his son to learn life the hard way. And some of us, if we keep bailing out our kids, they'll never learn. He let his child go, and the Bible says that his child left. He released the child. He said, I released you. And the Bible says the son left. And what happened to the son, ladies and gentlemen? The son took the inheritance, spent everything he had, wasted his life, was found in a pig pen, and not one time did the father go rescue him. Not one time did the father call him on the phone and say, baby, if it gets too hard, just come back home. The father understood that tough love 
requires me to release my kids and let them learn it the hard way because if I bail them out and enable them, they will never learn and God can never speak to them. Sometimes what God wants to do in your child's life, he can't do it because we're always bailing our kids out. Sometimes God wants to do great things, but he can't do it because we're always bailing kids out. But pastor, I love them. This story demonstrates how much he loved his son. But he loved his son enough to say, I release you. Let you go. You know, I'm not a, 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 a dad in the re respect of having my own children, but in pastoring, I know there are sometimes I know people are making the greatest mistake of their life, and I want to wave banners and jump up and down and say, please don't do this. But sometimes I just know that a father's love is to let people learn it the hard way. Just let them learn it. Pastored for 14 years, and I could see people, it's a cycle, you know, jumping from one church to another church, and they're always like, What's wrong with my life? Because nothing in their life is stable. Nothing in their life is consistent. They don't, they don't, and if you tell them the truth, they get even up, more upset, you know? It's like you want to be honest with people, but you just got to let, you just got to learn to let people go and let the Holy Spirit take them through the hard knocks of life. And the Holy Spirit can teach them more than I could ever teach them. Can I hear an Amen. So what did he do? He let him go. And what happened? This is interesting, and I'm almost done. Luke chapter 15, and this is what happened. He let his son go, and the Bible says in verse number 14, Luke 15, verse 14, and when he spent all that he had, there was a severe famine, and he was in want. You see that? He was in want. So his daddy let him go. And when his dad let him go, he spent all that he had. He was in want. Now look at this. He was in want. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He was gladly had filled his stomach with the pods of the swine he ate, and no man gave him anything. You see that phrase? No man gave him anything. That means his daddy didn't come and rescue him. His daddy didn't say, baby, I know, bless your little heart. The world's treating you wrong. His daddy never pat him on the back and said, bless your little heart. Did they treat you? Did they talk bad about you? Come to daddy. Did they say something bad about my baby? Because you know parents are the worst, that they think their child never does anything wrong. Come on. Your response has given it away. <laughs> I said, parents are the worst to think their child never does anything. Never does anything wrong. And so what does he do? What does he do? He, he released his baby. And what does the Bible say? He was in what? And he spent all that he, and nobody gave him. Did his daddy rescue him? No. Nope. His daddy never rescued him. The father didn't run to him and satisfy his once because the father knew that my son has to learn the hard way. Now, 
it's hard, isn't it? Because when you love somebody, you want to rescue them. You want to, you know, and I'm not trying to preach something that, you know, I've dealt with my own family members of bailing people out. I, it's hard. I mean, it's, it, it gets to you. It, it, I mean, it, it gets to the core of you where you wrestle with these emotions like, I love them and I don't want them to suffer. Nobody wants to see their child suffer. Nobody wants to see their child in pain. Nobody wants to see, nobody wants to see that. That's what's hard. And yet the father understood in loving wisdom that in order for God to get to him, I got to keep my hands off of him. In order for God to do what he needs to do, I have to remove my hand. He released him. Father, can I have my inheritance? Son, you know what you're doing to your daddy and your mother. Don't hurt us. Give it to me anyway, Dad. He learned his lesson. And what happened? This is so good. What happens as a result of the father letting him go? He didn't bail him out. Then what happened to him? The son spent everything he had. He's in the pig pen. And the Bible says in verse 17... Luke 15, verse 17, and he came to himself. You see that? He said, he said, why should I sit here and die when my father has hired servants and has bread enough to feed me? Here is a son who was disobedient, disrespectful to his parent. His parent released him. The son spent everything he had the father didn't bail him out, and as a result of the father not bailing him out, the son came to incenses. That's what happens when you don't intervene in God's process. That's what happens when you take your hands off of your children and you understand that sometimes God has to do it. You take your hands off and you let them come to their senses. What would have happened if the daddy would have ran down to the pig pen and says, come here, son, come on. He would have intervened in the process that God was trying to do. As a result of the father not intervening in the process, the son came to himself. How many parents in the building this morning that you are believing God to save your children? And the best way, the best way, is to take your hands off of it, let God do it, and they will come to them senses themselves. They will come to their senses themselves because the Holy Spirit will do it. Now, it's hard. It's hard. How many would agree with pastor it's hard? Believe me, it's difficult. But he came to his senses himself. And in closing... What happened in verse number 20? Verse number 20, Luke 15, verse 20. The boy came walking, and he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great far off, his father had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Do you see what's happening here? The boy walked, but the father ran. I'm going to say that again. The boy walked, but the father ran. The father was full of compassion. The father 
heart was full of love and compassion and he understood that if I take my hands off of my boys, if I take my hands off of my kids, they will come to themselves because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in them. But when he decides to come back home, I'm going to come out and run and meet him halfway. And that's what happens. He, he comes running. And he kissed his son. You know what this story teaches us? I release you. And it teaches us, I receive you. I love you enough to release you. But that same love, I can receive you back. I release you. I receive you. And that boy ran. In nowhere does this prodigal son, nowhere, excuse me, nowhere did the, the, the father have closed arms. Nowhere did he point his finger and say, see, I told you. Nowhere did the father say, I told you so. Nowhere did he cross his arms and say, where's all that money you spent? Nowhere. Because the father understood something. The father understood that my love is big enough to understand the depth of sin. I know what sin does. I know that sin is selfish. And I know that sin takes you to the pig pen. And I'm not going to put shame and guilt on you because of what you've done. My love is big enough to receive you back home. I release you. I receive you. I respect you. I respect you. Because the Bible says he received his son, put a ring on his finger, sled the fatted calf. They came home, and guess what happened? The other brother got upset. But you know what I like about this story, Pastor David? The Bible says the other son got an attitude, and guess what the father did? The father left the party and went outside to hear the son's request. The father had enough respect to go and listen to the other son's request. And what was the son's request? The other son said, Father, when I came home, you never had a celebration for me. You never had a party for me. And the father understood something. The father understood, although your request is self-pity, I respect you enough to listen to you. You know what self-pity is? Self-pity is when you can't see past yourself. And the other son had an attitude. The other son fa said, Father, you've never done that for me. And what did the father do? The father listened to him. Sometimes as parents, you've just got to listen to the self-pity of your children. Just listen to it. You may not agree with it, but respect them enough just to listen. And he leaned a ear, and he listened. You know, you know what self-pity does? Because isn't that what the son was doing? He had self-pity. He was like, you never did it for me. You never did it for me. Self-pity destroys harmony. It destroys happiness. He never saw beyond the vision of himself. Is that right? Look at verse 29. Luke 15, 29. Look at the phrase here. 
Look, verse 29, look at it. Ready? So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed against the commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Hmm. I, I, I. He's saying, this is the other brother. The other brother is saying, Daddy, you never did this for me. And Daddy had enough common sense. Verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, or verse 30, but as soon as the son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed your fatted calf for him, and he said to them, Son, you have always been with me, and all that I am is yours. You see the respect that this son had? This, or excuse me, the father had? The father respected the other son enough to listen to him, even though the complaint was not valid. And I am convinced that listening is the highest form of intimacy. That when we listen to people, that shows that we love people. Somebody asked Mother Teresa one time on her deathbed, Mother Teresa, what is love? Mother Teresa said, listening. I would agree. Has you ever been in a relationship with someone where you know they wasn't listening to you? What they're telling you is, I could care less what's on your heart. I could care less what you're saying. I'm not into you. So your words are not valid for me to pay attention to. And this son, even though his complaint was not valid, the son or the father loved him enough to listen to him. And as fathers we got to develop the art of listening to our kids. we got to develop the art of, of just sitting down and paying attention. And sometimes that means turning the TV off. That means making a decision that, how was your day? Tell me about your day. I want to listen to you. I want to know about your life. We used to, you know, we used to sit on the back porch and drink our tea and talk to our neighbors. Now we close in our porches and we barely speak to one another. Now we speak to one another through text messages and social media. And the art of listening has been lost. But the highest form of intimacy is when we value one another through the art of listening. This prodigal son story teaches us on this Father's Day that sometimes as a parent that we have to release our kids and give them to God, and let God take care of them, and not bail them out or enable them any longer. Because only when we do that, they will come to themselves. It teaches us that we've got to receive our kids. We've got to receive them back, no matter what they've done, or what they've said, or where they went. That the same love that was able to release them is the same love that can receive them back. Because as a parent, and as a father, and as a mother, your status doesn't change as my son or daughter because of what you've done. You are always my son and daughter, and I will always love you. And it teaches us that we should respect. We should listen to our kids. As a matter of fact, Paul said, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't do that. Sit down and 
Give an ear to them. You may think their request is self-pity, but listen to them just like this father. He left the party, sat down with his son and said, son, tell me what's on your heart. He didn't judge him, but he listened. And see, on this Father's Day, all of us can learn something from this story. Because the family is the greatest union that God ever created. It's the greatest institution that God ever put on earth. And if the family is weak, the church will be weak. But if the family is strong, the church will be strong. And this story teaches us to let people go. It teaches us to receive people. And it teaches us to respect people. And I promise you, ha, I stand here, I by no means am a, a daddy to kids. I'm a student of the Word of God. And from the story that I just read to you, those are principles for your family, and those are principles for relationships, and those are principles for everyday life that you can take. And sometimes it's hard, but we understand that the reward will always outweigh the risk of letting people go. Amen? How many has got that word today? You have that word today. Amen. Lord, bless these families, these husbands, these fathers. I pray that we would have stronger marriages, stronger homes, stronger family units. I pray your hand of protection would be upon us and that you would bless us in Jesus' name.